0: It's the Locked On Aggies podcast, presented by Locked On Podcast Network, talking all things Texas A&M. Now, here's your host, Cole Thompson. Howdy, everybody, and welcome back into another episode of Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat, talking all things Texas A&M, and today. We are discussing another round of our bracket. For anyone who hasn't been following, we're taking the 32 best players in Texas A&M sports history, place them in a bracket just like the NCAA, moving right along and making sure that we find out who is the greatest Aggie player of all time. Before we begin, make sure you're following us on social media at LockedOnAggies. Locked Aggies is your number one source for all things Texas A&M audio-related, so go check that out at LockedOnAggies and LockedOnPodcast.com. And second, if you like this show, if you like what I'm doing, if you think that everything that I've been doing is right, or you have some concerns, doesn't really matter. I love personal feedback. Give me a follow at Mr. Cole Thompson. Once again, that's at Mr. Cole Thompson and at LockedOnAggies. Let's give you a rundown of yesterday's show, who we had moving on in our series to join. Of course, Von Miller, Johnny Manziel, uh, Kevin Smith, and DeAndre Jordan. Dad Nguyen got the win over John Kimbrough. Miles Garrett got the win over Jake Matthews. Aaron, uh, AC Law got the win over Michael Waka. And the number five seed, once again, continues to be the seed that is starting to get some success. And that was Aaron Glenn beating out Darren Lewis. Today, 8 more Aggies enter the ring, 8 more potential chances for them to move on, and here we go. Number 1 seed is John David Crow. number 2 seed Mike Evans, number 3, War Coleman, number 4, Chris Middleton, number 5, Richmond Webb, number 6, Charlie Krueger, number 7, Johnny Holland, and number 8, Justin Wilson out of the MLB bullpen. So why don't we get this started with John David Crow, if you are a huge Aggie fan, You definitely know this name by heart. Crow was one of the pioneers to put Texas A&M on the map as a football school. And when you look at the numbers, he played under one of the greatest coaches of all time. So, you know, he has to be one of the best players to ever walk through the 12th man doors. And that was because he coached under Paul Bear Bryant. Everyone knows him as the head coach of Alabama, but he really was very pinnacle in the success of the Junction Boys. Everyone knows that story. They had 52 players go out into the the desert and the junkyards. Then they were able to find success with those 18, 19 players that remained behind. They were enshrined in the history of the sport, but... During the 1957 season, the Aggies started 8-0 before falling in their final three games to the Alabama Crimson Tide after the news broke that Bryant would leave for Tuscaloosa at the end of the season. That November is the last time A&M was ever ranked number one in the poll- In the polls. Crow played as many positions on the offense. He played a little bit of quarterback. He played a little bit of running back. He played wide receiver. He played the flanker spot. I even think he made a couple of big-time blocks as a tight end. He was one of the most decisive players to ever play the game. When you look at his stats all time, 259 carries for 1,465 yards, 14 touchdowns, 15 catches for 288 yards, and four total scores that way, five passing touchdowns, and five interceptions. He was in the 1957 Consensus All-American and was the first Heisman winner for Texas A&M school history. He played in three positions and missed three games during that 1957 season, yet still was able to hoist the big trophy at the end of the year. He would go on to play 11 seasons in the NFL for the Chicago, then later St. Louis Cardinals before joining the San Francisco 49ers. Crow was selected to the Pro Bowl four times and was an All-Pro three times. He would spend about a decade as a coach afterwards before moving into the front office. He was the administrative athletic director for the 12th man from 1983 to 1988 before taking over as the head man in command at the new AD from 1988 to 1993. Those early years of the 1990s really helped mold AM into what they were during that stand and helped get them into the Big 12 Conference. Overall, when you think of Crow and you look at his success that he had and you look at what he was able to do for AM in the 50s, then represent AM at the next level. There's few players who match that standard. There's two Heisman Trophy winners in school history. Crow is the pioneer. He's the GOAT. He is the guy who did it all. And when I look at this, I look at this because of I look at what a Heisman Trophy player is supposed to be. They're not supposed to be. Just the best player at their respective position. They're supposed to be the best player on the field. You can't stop them if they're in the open field as a runner. You can't contain them if they're in the pocket as a passer. You cannot guard them if they're on the outside as a wide receiver. And defensively, because we have seen a defensive player take home the award, you cannot find ways to beat them defensively. Because of all that, Crow is the embodiment of what the Heisman Trophy is supposed to be. He is, without a doubt, the pinnacle of what the award stands for. Then you look at Alex Wilson, who's had his up and down years representing the 12th man baseball program at the next level. He was born in Dubai. He later moved to New Orleans when he was two years old, then eventually settled in Tennessee. He grew up a huge Boston Red Sox fan. He actually had the chance to play for that team. He attended Winthrop University and then eventually transferred to Texas A&M. Uh, during his time, he was a mainly user relief pitcher. He pitched in 27 innings in his one year there. He was drafted by the Chicago Cubs in the 2008 round but did not sign. He later was drafted in the second round in the 2009 draft by Boston. He would spend three years in the major two years in the majors with Boston. Uh, he would be a part of the 2013 and 14 teams. He threw for 27 and two-thirds innings for the Red Sox, and he posted a 4.88 ERA. His performance the next year was increasingly better, and it made him a hot prospect on the trade market because of he would go 28 and a third innings Throwing a 1.91 ERA. In 2014, he was traded from the Red Sox to the Detroit Tigers for uh, Giannis, uh, for Rick Pocello. He would join uh, Gabe Saper and Joanna Cespedes in the deal. On May 27th, uh, 19, uh, 2015, he made his first career start, he throwing 52 pitches and three scoreless innings. During his career, he's also played for the Milwaukee Brewers and also the Chicago Cubs. He recently returned to Detroit on a minor league contract this past offseason. He's had some success for his career. He's gone 14-14 as a relief pitcher, predominantly 226 strikeouts, and 3.44 ERA. This is a no-brainer for me. It's John David Crow moves on. Wilson was a one-year member for A&M before uh, he kind of transferred around. You know, he never really was a pinnacle member, but he did have success his one year with the program as their main relief setup pitcher. And he's done that well enough at the MLB level to, I think, consider him a quality player. But at the same time, Crow is the first Heisman. It's going to be hard to beat that if he makes it to the final. Let's just go with that. There's no way anyone's going to really contend to put up the same type of success in that same way. I just don't see it. I I can't see it. There's not a chance that you put the two together and you go, okay, these two are equal because of one played in the 50s where football was completely different back then and one played in recent memory. We still have three more battles to go through. We also mentioned that Mike Evans, one of the top receivers in the NFL, will be on this list. Can he go ahead and find a way to defeat Johnny Holland? We'll be breaking that down in just a quick moment. Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, let me get your opinion on something. Do you like quality podcasts with great people who understand the sport that they're talking about and can deliver great promise for your future of podcasting? If so, why not check out LockedOnPodcast.com? There's over two dozen college sports shows, plus we have a plethora of NFL, MLB, NBA, and fantasy sports for your listening ears Go ahead, go to Spotify, go to iTunes, whatever you want, and download your favorite teams Locked On podcast today. We're moving right along in our bracket as we look at our two versus seven seed, and this is a matchup that I think a lot of people would debate over, uh, the positioning of one. But Remember guys, I'm trying to keep this fair. I'm trying to make it to where every sport is represented as best as possible. Every sport gets their opportunity to shine, and football is the big thing in Texas. Everyone knows that, so unfortunately, because of that, we have to let go of someone and move them down the list. But why don't we start off with our first contender, and that would be Mike Evans. Evans only played in two seasons in the maroon and white, but both of his seasons were spectacular, especially his final year. There only was very little to go off of, but you have to realize that he has put up numbers that no receiver in A&M history probably will ever come close to again. This is the greatest AM wide receiver. I'm just going to come out and say it because of it's not just what he did for AM, but it's what he's represented at the next level that's made him one of the greatest wide receivers in the sport. For his career, he tallied 151 catches, 2,499 yards, and 17 touchdowns, averaging 16.5 yards per reception. He really helped build Johnny Manziel into what he is, and that's why I put both as the number two seed. I don't know if Evans would have the career he did without Manziel, but I can certainly tell you that Manziel got bailed out of a lot of interceptions because of the six foot five wide receiver he had at his split end position. He made his major mark when he helped Texas A&M upset Alabama in Alabama, where he finished with 12 catches for 319 yards in two games against Nick Saban. Not only that, uh, he also averaged a career of 1,500 yards and 12 touchdowns in his final year. He was a consensus All-American in 2013, an All-SEC team in 2013, and he was an All-A&M freshman team in 2012 he would declare for the nfl draft just two years after playing the college ball and one team felt that he was ready to become the next big name at the wide receiver position that'd be the tampa bay buccaneers the buccaneers selected him with the number seven overall pick in the 2014 nfl draft and they have banked off of the production of evans at the next level evans is one of two players in NFL history, this is not college, this is NFL history to reach six seasons of 1,000 career yards per year. He is the other one is Randy Moss, one of, if not the greatest wide receiver in the past 25 years to ever play the game. He has been dominant down in Petertown for his career. 462 catches, 7,260 yards, 48 career touchdowns, and last year he put up, even though he did not reach the double-digit mark, he's only done that twice in his career, he still put up 67 receptions the year before, uh, 86, and in 2016, his breakout year, he had, of course, 96. He's a three-time Pro Bowler at the position, and he recently got extended to a new five-year contract. Now with Tom Brady, it's going to be really interesting to see if Evans can only improve on his stock from here on out. Next up, we got Johnny Holland. Holland played for Texas A&M from 1984 to 1987. He was a consensus first-team All-American in 1985, an All-American in 1986 and 87, an All-Southwest Conference member from 1985 to 1987. He's in the Texas A&M Hall of Fame and in the Cotton Bowl Hall of Fame. He helped AM Lee win three Southwest championships in 1985 through 1987. He possibly is one of the top linebackers to ever come through the school. When you look at his numbers, he was one of the more successful players in Jackie Sherrill's defense. For his career, 455 total tackles, AM would go 29-7 and during his three years with the program and reach as high as number six in the AP rankings. Holland would go on to be a second-round pick by the Green Bay Packers, having a very quality career until two herniated discs in his necks forced him to retire early in 1993. He had 100-plus tackles in six of the seven years he was in the league and later on would bounce around to become a linebacker's coach since 1995. Overall, Holland has been one of the best defenders to ever walk through A&M's doors, tallying 455 total tackles. That is second most in school history. The only one who's been better is Datnawing, who already we talked about, who has moved on into our next round. I look at these two... And I'm looking, it's like choosing between your son and your daughter for who wants to get the pony. There are players on both sides who merit the reasoning. They really do. Holland merits it because of he was a pivotal point in a and success before going to the Big 12. He was an All-American. But you can counter-argue, so was Mike Evans. Both spent... Only three years there for Holland, two years for Evans. Evans, however, made drastic strides in that 2013 season. Holland, Mr. Consistent. I think if I have to go off this num- notion alone, this is where the NFL career comes into mind because this is also really hard. Evans is Mr. Consistency at the wide receiver position, but until his injury, So was Holland, But seven years into the league, not even, uh, yeah, seven years in the league, Holland had to step away from the game because of injuries. Evans, he's missed a total of six games in six seasons. On average, he misses one game a year, except for in 2019, where he missed three games that year, and he still put up over 1,100 receiving yards. I'm gonna go with Mike Evans, but please know Johnny Holland is a AM legend on the defense and deserves to be treated like one. We're gonna keep moving right along. Who's gonna be the other two to join Evans and John David Crow into the quarterfinals? We'll be breaking down those names in just a quick moment. Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat, talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson and at Aggies SI. We already discussed. We already know who is going to be in the finals for the top half seeds. That would be John David Crowe and that would be Mike Evans. Who will join them as the number three and number four seed? Let's go ahead. Let's break down Work Holman. Holden played for the Maroon and White from 1994 to 1998. He was an All American during that 1998 season. He made the first big first team All Big 12 team in 1998, and he made the second All Big 12 team in 1997. He helped AM carve their first Big 12 title championship, winning it in 1998. You have to understand that he was a premier outside linebacker. Back in those 4-3 defenses, you wanted a player who was going to be able to make a ton of plays against the run, but also could be a effective pass rusher. And that's kind of what we're seeing in 4-3 defenses at the NFL level now because of they're now relying on guys like Shaq Thompson, guys like, uh, I'll go even uh, now, I guess you could throw in Dante Fowler Jr. You throw in names like those who definitely are okay in coverage, but they're very good against the run, and they're versatile against the pass. He was incredibly special during the 1998 season. They beat the then number two Nebraska Cornhuskers early in the season, and then won the a Big 12 title game over the then number two Kansas State Wildcats. He go on to have a successful career in the NFL after being drafted by the Chicago Bears in the 1999 draft. He played in 9 seasons with the Bears, the Browns, the Redskins and Denver. His best season came in 2001 where he posted 107 tackles, 1.5 sacks and 8 pass deflections along with three force fumbles for his career in a&m he ranks fourth all time in tackles with 294 tackles 46 tackles for losses and 16.5 sacks he's gonna be a contender but i think you also gotta look at someone on the offensive line we haven't really talked a lot about offensive line outside of probably yeah besides jake matthews you gotta look at richmond webb Coming to AM from 1986 to 1989, he was a member of the All-Southwest Conference team in 19, during that 1989 season. He helped the Aggies win back-to-back championships in the SWC in 1986 and 1987. He was actually a defensive lineman who could not get off blocks, so what the coaches decided to do was move him to left tackle, and he might go down as the top lineman in AM history. He helped A&M's rushing attack become one of the most dominant players' pieces for an offense during the 1980s, and they were a huge part of the team's success during those two conference championship runs. In that 1989 season, A&M averaged a rush of 200 plus yards per game, and they were really able to hold up their offensive line thanks to Webb. He was drafted with the ninth overall pick by the Miami Dolphins. He made the Pro Bowl seven consecutive years, including his rookie season, which also named he was also named the NFL Rookie of the Year during that 1990 NFL year. He protected Dan Marino for 11 seasons, and the Dolphins made the playoffs in eight of the nine years he was there. He finished his career. With the Cincinnati Bengals. This past year, Webb made the NFL draft pick for the Dolphins. He was also added as a, uh, he's in the ring of honor for both Dolphins and also for AM. You look at his stats, he's been quality, level, caliber player representing AM at the highest level. I look at these two and I'm going with the upset. I'm going with Richmond Webb because without Webb blocking that blindside, who knows if Dan Marino is one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game? You look at the numbers of what we saw from Hald- uh, Holdman. Holdman was bouncing around the league. He had a very stellar A and M career, but Webb had both. Advantage Webb. And offensive linemen don't get enough love already. But you have to realize they may not be the most flashy players. But they mean a ton to the team, and especially to any team that wants to have a good run game. Moving on to our number four seed, that would be Chris Middleton. He spent three years with Texas A&M, playing in 87 career games, starting in 72, averaging career minutes of 26 uh, minutes. He shot 43% from the field goal range, 32% from the... Uh, Three-point range, 76% for the free-throw line, and he averaged 11.3 points per game for his career. His best year came in 2010 and 2011, During his sophomore season, he finished ninth in the Big 12 and scoring at 14.3 points per game, while also adding 5.2 rebounds. He hit 45% of his shots from the floor and 78% at the free throw line. Middleton scored in excess of 10 points in 27 straight games and led his team in scoring 16 times. He scored a career high in college, 31 points in a 71-62 overtime victory against Arkansas, including... 11 of the team's 12 last points in regulation. Milton led Texas A&M to a 24-9 record, losing in the round of 60 Florida-Florida State, 57-50. An injury cost him really much his junior year. He was selected with the 39th overall pick by the Detroit Pistons. And since then, he's pretty much been a Milwaukee Buck. He played one year for Detroit. He played in 27 games. He never once made a start. Since then, his career has been Milwaukee. He was traded in um, with Brandon Knight and Velasquez-Kristov to Milwaukee for Brandon Jennings. He has been a quality player. Just a couple things to go off of stats. He's a two-time NBA All-Star. He made the second team All-Big 12 team. He's only 28 years old, so there's still a ton for him to expand his career with. For his career with Milwaukee, He's played in 455 games, 383 starts. He's averaged 31.7 points per minute, 15.7 points per game. He has a field goal percentage range shooting of 45.1%, a three-point range shooting of 38.8%. He's 87% at the line, an average of 4.4 rebounds per game, 3.2 assists per game, 1.3 steals per game. I think that he wasn't able to meet that same level as AC Law or bring in the hype that DeAndre Jordan brought in, but he's still a quality player who has represented a very well at the, ne- at the next level and is really starting to come to his own. Back-to-back all-star appearances in, in a league that features LeBron James and Kevin Durant and-, and Steph Curry, Draymond Green, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and you're still competing at a high level and being a perfect setup man for Giannis Antetokounmpo, Middleton should have some high praise right now because he's done a very good job representing the 12th man at the NBA level. Rounding our list is Charlie Krueger. He was a defensive tackle that played for Texas A&M from 1955 to 1957. His accolades include an All-American trip in 1956 and 1957. He's in the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. His nickname was Tough Guy because of literally... Bear Bryant beat the crap out of this kid and made him into a star. Kruger and the Junction Boys, he was a part of that team, although he did not go to camp. That was one of those very few things because of he was still during his freshman year. But he and the Junction Boys won the Southwest Conference Championship in 1956, but were not allowed to play in a bowl game. It fueled that 1957 season where they allowed only 50 points on the year. In 11 games, Kruger was a two-time All-American and a co-captain in 1957 with Heisman Trophy winner JDC, who we already talked about. They would finish in the top 10 after both 1956 and 1957. He would go on to be the number eight overall pick in the 1958 NFL Draft by the six San Francisco 49ers. He played in 16 games and was selected to the All-Pro team three times at the Pro Bowl twice for his career. He played in 198 games, 194 he started, he had one interception, I think he had a total of somewhere around 500 tackles for his career, 7 force fu- uh, seven fumble recoveries, 3 force fumbles, 3 safeties. He's not retired into the Hall of Fame, but he is retired, by his number is retired by the 49ers. This is another tough one. I look at Middleton's progression, and I look at what Kruger's done, and how long he was able to hold it up, unfortunately, there's still not a giant stat line that we can prove because the stats weren't taken at the time period, so we have to really go off what we already know. I'm going to give the ads to Chris Middleton, please don't kill me. Kruger is a great player, and it's very evident that he's highly respected in the sport but without as many stats as I could possibly find and I and I looked for hours trying to find any way to find these stats the NCAA never recorded them Middleton has stats and they're pretty decent overall it's hard to sit here and go well because if he doesn't have stats but he was a great player it makes total sense it, it just doesn't add up that way for me so for that reason and that reason alone Middleton will join the likes of John David Crow, Mike Evans, and a Richmond Webb, the one upset beating the three seed in our finals. That's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Aggies. Make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson at Aggies SI. And while you're at it, why not listen to one of our great conference shows, including Locked on SEC, Locked on ACC, and Locked on College Football with Jordan Reed. Tomorrow, we will be breaking down our final bracket in this analogy, who will be the other four contenders moving on to the Sweet 16 and competing for a chance to be the greatest Aggie of all time? You're going to have to wait till tomorrow. We'll see you then. And remember, kick come y'all. This has been Locked On Aggies, presented by the Lot On Podcast Network.